You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. From Capital Broadcasting Company and WRAL-FM, welcome to Wine and Dandy. I'm your host, Sarah King. I'm your host, Jamie Kasky. Wine is fun, and we intend to prove it, and I'm very excited. We have Jen (laughs) King with us, the one, the only. She is famous for any wine drinker in the know in the Raleigh-Durham area. Uh, She runs the wine program over at Seaborn Wine Warehouse. She buys the wine. She slings the wine. She delivers the wine to your trunk. She recommends the wine. She she set us up, certainly, for the pandemic. Welcome, Jen. Hi. How are you guys? We're good. And the reason we, we the reason we wanted to talk to you today is because you and I and Jamie all had a conversation one time about the point system. Ah, uh, yes. Because when you're shopping for wine, you see this got 90 points. Yeah. Well, it's pretty arbitrary if you have no idea what the point system is, yeah. who set up the point system. So you have a really deep knowledge of these of these systems, and that's why we have you here today. Gotcha. So, um, yes, I do, because I've sold wine in all capacities, um, meaning I sell it. I sling it now to the customer. I used to sling it to the store. Um, and I feel like these scoring systems, I mean, they can be helpful, but I guess sort of let's back it up and like talk about what a what it is. And they're 100-point scales, essentially. What's funny to me, Jim, when you say it's a 100-point scale, you never see the buttons on the wine that says, got a 72. You yeah. only see the people in the 90s. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. Nobody's ever going to flaunt. Although, I, <laughs> and I was trying to find it earlier, nobody's ever going to flaunt that bad squirrel, though somebody did one time, and it was really hysterical. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right in terms of that they never show the bad score. What's also interesting, so the whole idea behind like these point scores, so they essentially only go from 50 to 100, I guess is sort of what the base, but like the only thing anybody pays attention to is pretty much the upper end of the scale, 80 to 100, and quite frankly, 89 to 100 is really all anybody ever pays attention to. Let's start from the very beginning. Who invented these point systems? Where did they begin? So I'm guessing, I believe it was um, the official 100-point scale was Mr. Robert Parker, and you've heard me diss him many, many, many times on your show. But in the 80s, he started, and he's he's known for having, that I have the, a memory like an elephant that everybody knows about, that like I remember something that 20 years ago I sold him a bottle of wine, I remember what they drank. Wow. So Robert That's Parker... True. My understanding of him is that he he has that sort of memory in terms of wines he's tasted. And I and I, I have somewhat of that memory, but not to the extent that he does. Wow. He was a lawyer and he just I mean, I think he started falling in love with wine and he started to write I mean, this is pre internet and so he basically had a zine. You know, it was a and once a month or actually it was actually once a quarter this magazine would come out and it was not even like a glossy magazine. It was just a you know, it was black and white. <laughs> well, yeah. Let me um, let me let me stop you there. A zine for those of you who don't know. And I do not know. I, <laughs> I I I think you had to be in the underground art scene in the '90s to know what a zine is. And these are like self-published uh, magazines that you okay. would like go to Kinkos and print off like 500 copies at your own cost. Oh, staple them yourself. And if you were lucky, somebody would help you pay for it. But most of the time, you were doing you. it yourself, and it was a way to get. 
you know, it's this underground Gotta journalism. Get your opinion now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Go ahead, Jen. And so, and he would charge for this. You could buy a subscription to his his wine reviews, and that was the beginning of it. And then from there, you know, and it was sort of this underground thing. And at the same time, maybe maybe eight or ten years later. There's another um, wine buyer somewhere in the Midwest that it was called the International Wine Cellar, and it still exists, a guy named Stephen Tanzer, that was also sort of doing the same thing. And I would say that I was probably exposed to it in the mid to late 90s when I was like, wow, when none of this information was available on on the internet, the internet didn't exist. Like you couldn't go look up tasting notes or anything about a winery. Right. So when you were learning about a wine, you would, I mean, you were certainly like, if somebody had been to the winery, you sat there and you took old school notes. That's how you, you remembered and retained stuff about wine. Yeah. So you had these great publications or these little subscriptions you could get to these reviewers that would sort of give you a little, maybe a little bit of history on the winery and then just sort of and talk about the vintage overall in a specific area. And so, so that sort of evolved and now, you know, really in the late uh, 90s to really early 2000, especially when the internet started started to boom suddenly like wine buyers were super aware of these point scores Ah. and and we'll kind of get into like how it changed things but ultimately what they're looking for is you know the idea of what they're rating is it's supposed to be based on sort of quality and then typicity of the area so that when we talk about terroir but so if it's a, a Rhone wine, a Chateauneuf de Pops, you know, wine that comes from one place and he would review all the, you know, 20, 30 wines, he'd either go there or he would pull all his samples, have everybody mail them to him. And he, a lot of times, though, he was there in France tasting, you know, there's so many parts to this that I could break down of why I have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. So the whole idea that and so let's just say Mr. Parker is in the Rhone Valley tasting wine. There's the, my, my, my major problems with first off, wine is subjective. Like it is one of those things that we talked about this on the show where you taste one thing, you, you get it after I might say it, but like give you the hint of what you're smelling. Oftentimes you can make the connection, but oftentimes people, for instance, I, the pyrazines that we've talked about, like I cannot stand green bell pepper in my wine. Me some people love it. neither. I like it sometimes. But some people love it. And so that's a subjective opinion. Like that's, that's, I don't like it, but some people do. So that's where I think it's good to look at people's words about things more. So like my tidbit would be to look for consistency in scores that somebody that doesn't score 99 one year and then 89 the next, and then 94, I would much, I would go for the person that scored 89, 90 every year. Yeah. Consistent. Uh, and I feel like they're going to be much more consistent. So back to sort of, we'll just talk about Mr. Parker's in, in the Rhone Valley. And he let's just say he'd go there every year. And in fact, Bordeaux was sort of his place to go, but he loves the Rhone Valley. Let's just say he's there tasting and he's on his 50th wine. Like, Whoa. Sarah, you remember this from working at the shop. Yeah. You, can, you, know, it, it, you, you don't remember anything. You know, I mean, you, you go to Sephora and hit the perfume. Yeah. By, the, by like the thir- like fourth or fifth bottle, your nose is like, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Same with your mouth yeah. and wine. Yep. So I, I do have a theory that like the the more they taste, it's almost like the bigger and more intense the wines that have to get right to yeah, outrank right. the to ones it before impact. it. So so that's that's one one problem I have. We've got the subjective thing that he's tasted all these things. Right. 
then we haven't even gotten into first off if somebody puts food down and I have some I think I've told you the story about like sitting in Italy at one of the big that at then Italy the big Italian tasting right. and like watching this reviewer like I was to the point of like I couldn't eat or drink anything else I'm like all I wanted was seriously like espresso and cigarettes it was the only <laughs> thing going in my body at, after <laughs> that point <laughs> And I'm watching like this guy, this, this professional reviewer, he worked for Robert Parker and he was just leaving the booth. We were coming in. And the one thing about the booth we just left, everybody's like, when you go there, like they have the best breadsticks and the best charcuterie of everybody in Penn, Italy. Mm. So I'd saved a little bit room, but I'm over it. And I watched this plate of food come out for this guy. And I know that he's got 40 wines to taste. 440. 40 wines just to taste in this one booth. Oh my gosh. And they bring out this plate of sausages and I go off and I, you know, I think I went out and probably had three espressos and a cigarette. Wow, you must have been tired. (laughs) There's a lot of extremes going on in your life. Yes. Sure. No, but seriously, like you're just to the point where you're just like, I can't do anymore. I just want, I just need some espresso or I just need something not wine related in my mouth. Right. 45 minutes passes and I go back by the booth and the reviewer's still there tasting wine. It was the largest plate of salamis and breadsticks, and it's all gone. He's the only one eating it. And I'm just like, oh, like, how can he do this? This is like his third day of this. Yeah, you're like, I'm sick for you. Yeah. So so that's where I don't think it's exactly objective. I mean, that's, you know. Oh, yeah, I is, would say that too. Then you have a whole other issue of where we could have the time that Robert Parker was in the Rhone Valley and his car washed away because he had flash floods. Do you think he rated the vintage very high? Yeah, he was in a bad mood. Jen just cannot stand Robert Parker. Yeah, well, so what I'm hearing from you is that Robert Parker has a very flawed system of reviewing. Yeah. Uh, yes and no. I think that I would, it's funny enough, I still I still look at, I look at, and he has other, he does, he's not the only person that reviews now. He's hired many people over the years to work for him. What I have found is I have found reviewers within that I will trust their opinions. Robert uh, Parker himself isn't even really writing reviews anymore. One time he was ranking Pinot Noirs. He likes big, big wines, and Pinot Noir typically is not a big wine. It's a thinner-skinned grape. So he gives this one wine. I think he gave it 100 points or 99, who knows. And I think it was Wine Spectator, actually, the more I think about it, number one wine of the year. And Sarah and I got to taste this wine. We sure did. what was it, ladies? Um, what was the wine? It was Costa Brown Pinot Noir, and I remember we we was in the it was in the expensive case, Ooh, and this 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 wine person came in, you know, with some people come in and they've got real attitude, and they were one of these people. Like, oh, a Costa Brown, let's have that. And we opened it was disgusting. Oh, wow. it was disgusting. Yeah. yeah, I think there was something there was something wrong with it. I don't think it was necessarily something wrong with the bottle, but it's actually a pretty good segue into it, it was indicative of the vintage. And I think it was a very ripe vintage. And this is the other problem I have is that they talk about, they want to rank these wines based on quality and typicity of vintage. When, when, what does that mean when of, you say that? Typicity? Typicity. So, so the idea that like, I mean, you're, you're in Tuscany and you have Chianti. Kind of what we're talking about this, what I was talking about earlier about this 89, 90 point wine and year in, year out, it tastes good. Yeah. Um, you think about wines that Eddie brings home that like, I'm, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but something that you consistently drink at home with Eddie. And I mean, he's been doing this now for, he's been working with the same company two or three years now. Mm-hmm. So you've probably tasted two or three vintages of these wines. Sure. And 
you might be able to taste slight differences, but there's something about them that's always the same. Mm -hmm. So is it another word kind of for consistency then? Consistency and and that it typifies the place. It's basically saying, yeah, typicity is what I'm like. It typifies the place. So it's about this terroir that we're talking about and about the way this wine is supposed to taste. I see. So we could go and say, you know, as we all know, the weather, we never know what the weather is going to do. And so when we talk about vintages, you know, you could have an incredibly hot vintage. And a prime example would be 2003 in Europe. That's when the big heat waves went by or went through and people died Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have much air conditioning. Incredibly hot, hot vintage. Parker rated, I mean, so many things with crazy high scores just because they were bigger and riper like he likes. Uh. And I don't believe, even though he's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be outstanding wine of the vintage, I don't think that the vintage is typical. Therefore, I don't understand why you would rate something that high. Ah, and that's the next problem I have. Well, do you do you um, think that the reason that he does that is because of the relationships he's built with these vineyards? Do you think that plays into it ah, at all? Which would be politics? Yes. Sometimes. And I know, for, for instance, the fact that like certain wineries that consistently good scores get good scores for him. Um, they will have a Parker barrel. There will be a part, like if he's doing barrel samples, so the wine's not actually in bottle and he's in the winery tasting the tasting the vintage and tasting these wines, basically you put a little pipette and they draw out a little and they pour it into a glass and he tastes directly, or they'll, you know, he might be at a table, but they'll, he will designate on his reviews that this was a barrel sample or they might've bottled it, you know, knowing he was coming in three months or whatever and bottled it and let it settle down. They'll designate because they know what he likes. Right. And so from there is the next problem. <laughs> and they know what he likes. Yeah. So suddenly you find wineries going, well, my next door neighbor, they got 100 points and they use 100% new wood on their wine. We only use 50. Ah. Hmm. So we will now use 100. We, <laughs> let's try 100 to see if we get better scores on our wine. And so you saw a lot of things happening stylistically like that with Zinfandel out of California, the entire style of what was typically known as, you know, America's great Zinfandel, I feel like went through this, <laughs> it was parkerized, you know, yeah. that these people were doing these really ripe, really alcoholic Zinfandels and, you know, that just were a slightly atypical of what had been in the past. And then it was almost like a few years ago, everybody kind of pulled it back to, to the Zinfandel I remember before Parker got hold of it. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that I don't think his pull is what as great as it used to be. I think you have, that being said, I'm, I'm giving all kudos to Parker, but then you have Wine Spectator, yeah. who also has, has big influence. But one of the big issues with sort of Wine Spectator and a lot of the glossy rat magazines like that, you have to pay to play. So you um, might get a review. Let's put it this way. In the in the lineup of the 100 cabs they're going to taste and rate, mm-hmm. you might end up in the first 20 that they taste versus the last 20. <laughs> ah. Well, this is the point I would like to make then, and not just to suck up to you, Jen, but I feel like if you know your wine store, it, you have a particular wine store where you shop and you know the people who work there, you would be far better to ignore these rating systems, it sounds like, because they can be purchased, basically, or extremely uh, prejudiced towards certain wines. So you would be far better off to just go into your wine store and talk to your wine people and say, hey, this is what I like, and just get that recommendation instead of just blindly looking at the point systems. Correct. No, and I, I absolutely, and that's that's what I tell everybody. I'm like, if you find some, you also have to realize that, you know, there's only 
you know, that's a small portion of wines that are actually reviewed. Right. So I'm of of the you know 1,800 wines in in the at Seaboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe 200 of them have been reviewed by somebody. Oh wow! Maybe yeah, 400. Yeah, there's so I mean, many vineyards out there. You know, and then to, to to make sure that you've got the exact wine, exact vintage, you know, is is a whole other thing. So there's there's lots of flaws to the to, to the system, I think. But I think. Like I said, if I saw something that um, is consistently always gets 90 points, I'd be 90 or 89 or even 88. I'd be much more apt to buy it because I think consistently it would be an incredibly well-made wine. Do you think that uh, Robert Parker has turned turned people off to wine? The reason I ask that, and I guess I'm going to kind of answer my own question and see if you agree with <laughs> do me. Do you think so, Sarah? Well, I mean, <laughs> I do because I think that people see this wine, mm-hmm. say it's 90, it's 90, 100 points, and they're like, well, I don't like this wine. I must not like wine. And then they just don't go any further because they're like, well, I don't like no. good wine. And I don't think people do, like, I don't think, the thing about it is somebody that, that doesn't, at some point for you to go back and have wine again, at some point you've had something that you've liked. So for me, what I figured out very early on is that when I, when I didn't have access to any information of why I liked this wine, what I would do, what I found is that they were like, I'd flip the bottle over and I'd see an importer's name on the back and like, what? the last one I got from this guy, I really liked it. Oh. And I am much more apt to shop by importer on the back label. Something oh. like, you know, for French wine, Peter Wygant, or like if I've liked his wines or Kermit Lynch is the famous name. Mm-hmm. And so then you have importers that like, for instance, um, there's a, a, a Spanish importer, Jorge Odonos and Robert Parker loves him. And guess who doesn't like their wines? You. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's probably oaked. (laughs) Yeah, everything's very, very oaked. And I find it, I mean, and things have changed. I mean, I'm definitely putting big generalizations out there. And I feel like the trend of the market now, I, I think that, so we talked about sort of spectator, we talked about Robert Parker, and then we've talked about, I've met, briefly mentioned sort of international wine seller, which is uh, Stephen Tanzer's the, the writer there, and he's got a whole crew. And I have a tendency, so Tanzer finds much more nuances in wine. And I would, I will actually, I, if he recommends things, and he's usually, or his staff, they, I, I love the way they write, essentially. Huh. But I will follow his reviews like i will say like if i'm buying blindly especially in really high-end stuff a lot of times that we don't have the opportunity to taste that i'm just like oh we just ran out of this like the one thing i did know and i really need to get you know a hundred dollar bottle of wine in here i oftentimes and i will use these reviewers knowing knowing who 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 this hundred dollar bottle of cabernet something that i don't particularly drink right you know i'm gonna I will go for a Parker reviewed wine versus a Tanzer reviewed wine in that hundred point, hundred dollar Cabernet. But if I were, you know, fancy Burgundy, I'm going to go to Tanzer over Parker. So Robert Parker is his is called the Wine Advocate, okay. and so he has five or six people that write for him and do reviews. Okay. He's not really doing it much anymore. Right. I'm going to do a diversion off Parker because there is a gentleman known as Antoni Gallioni who, in the last ten years left Parker and started his own website called Venus, and he does reviews. Then we have the Wine Spectator, which has a whole staff of people. And on a deviation from the Wine Spectator, you have a gentleman that has a website now known as James Suckling, and Mm -hmm. he does a bunch of master classes as well. He's gone out on his own. So that's four four sort of places you can get reviews from. Okay. 
And then on top of that, you've got all these other little lesser known things. So the things that I would be more apt to use because I'm looking for really small production burgundies and Pinot Noirs, I will go to International Wine Cellar, a gentleman, Stephen Tanzer. Perfect. And then sometimes those writers will go work for Parker believe it or not. Crazy. What an <laughs> so incestuous all, yes. community. <laughs> so it's if a, I'm at a wine it's store... A super and... incestuous, it's, it's a super incestuous business. But we go from international wine cellars, and then from there you have all these other publications like Wine and Spirit. You have Wine Enthusiasts. You have Decanter. And then, like, those are the next three sort of you know, typical print magazines. And then on top of that, you've got um, this guy, Berghound, that I mentioned, Alan Meadows. He only writes about Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Those are the only two things he writes about. Okay. And then there's this guy named Williford Wong, and I have no idea. Beverage Dynamics, I think, is who he works for. His name is great. Yeah. (laughs) I used to steal his reviews and post them as little shelf talkers when I sold, when I worked in wholesale and we'd have to have signage for our wines. Ah. I used I, I used all his descriptions because I thought I was like, does anybody really read these things and you know any of these descriptions? I mean, do they really care who Williford Wong is? <laughs> they do if they like alliteration, I, Jen. Yes, <laughs> Williford Wong gave this ninety-two points, you know, and I'm like, like anything in this day and age, check your source. Yeah. I guess is what I should say. So whenever you're going um, through your wine store, though, and I see 90 points, you've just given me like seven at least places that the points are coming from. I understand that it's like basically every school grades from A to A to F. Right. So it's all the Correct. same, the same scale, but everyone's got their bias is essentially it. And so is it always labeled when they give the points like Robert Parker, 90 points, Stephen Tanzer? You know, seventy-five yes. points. Most people will say will will give the source whether it was Wine Advocate. Usually, the name of the magazine. Okay. Uh, they will usually they should document. Sometimes they don't, or you'll just see ninety points really big, and then it might say Williford Wong. Um, Which <laughs> I will Dynamics. look for that and and clap. <laughs> I will legitimately and physically clap when I see him. Like, oh look, Williford Wong! Yay! <laughs> brand. I love his name. <laughs> Well, Jen, this has been super enlightening. And alarming. (laughs) Yes. You know, there's a lot of bias, and it all started with a a lawyer out in California who... uh, Oh, no, and he's from Maryland, Maryland. Oh, my bad. Lawyer in Maryland. Sorry. Lawyer in Maryland um, who was like, I'm just going to start doing this because nobody else is, which is how most good things get started. Yeah, and it's... Well, he has an... And he had an incredible palate. Like, Like, I cannot dismiss that. Like, I feel like I've dissed him, but I do feel like he's sort of... Like people started making wine to get the point. Sure. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think because there are other sources and, and, you know, we we didn't even like social media and that sort of thing. Now we have influencers Mm -hmm. um, that could completely change the trajectory of a, a wine that was, you know, all it takes is one of these influencers. The next thing you know, you might have, you know, the next big seller without ever getting 90 points from Parker. So, Jen, what you're saying is the wine world is a lot like middle school. Is that (laughs) that what we're getting at here, I feel like? Yeah, it's who you know. There's a lot of things like that. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been fascinating, and it definitely gives me something to think about when you're shopping and you see those points. Yeah. It's honestly just an opinion. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, it can be enlightening knowing that Parker's got the huge palate. Like he likes big wines, what Mm -hmm. I like to call. And I didn't know Robert Parker was a lawyer, but I always (laughs) called him lawyer wines because when I worked in restaurants, lawyers would always buy these wines. And it's the big, acidy, you know, taste, quote unquote, spicy, like, you know, hurts a little bit when you're drinking it. (laughs) They have their time and place. For me, it's when I'm eating a big old steak or something, but... 
there's context to these, and I, I really appreciate you shining some light on on the context of each of these scales. Well, and I'm also, uh, you know, to finish that up, though, if you do find something you like, like I said, flip the bottle over, look at the back label, or if you see who's reviewing it and you see that so-and-so gave it 90 points, you know, maybe it's worth trying, you know, the other one if it's in the right price point. But like I said, this is all subjective. Yeah, yeah, it is totally bottom line. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time today, Jen. Um, I know you've got you've got like a bazillion bottles you got to get off the shelves and I'll be there to get some very soon. (laughs) All right. All right. Guys, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye. Well, that was wide eye opening. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little bit better about not investing too much in the point system. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I see it, and just I'm like, who's ninety points? So yeah. now I know if it's a Robert Parker wine, which I already knew, but there's lots of those other scales I had no idea about. Yeah, yeah. so shop around for a scale before you shop around for a wine, basically. Yeah, so we're gonna move on to skinny wines after we hear from our fellow podcasters and sponsors. Follow us on Facebook, Wine and Dandy Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Wine and Dandy Podcast. We would love to hear from you there. Or, of course, give us five stars if you want to on uh <laughs> If you're Apple only going to watch and not comment, give us stars too, please. Exactly. You know, there's lots of ways to get in touch with us on the old interwebs. Right. Uh, it's January. Yes, everybody's trying to lose some weight. I know, because I don't know about you, but the holidays... And- oh, I ate my way through the holidays. Ate and drank wine and just enjoyed myself, but I'm paying for it without my clothes are fitting. Oh, Yeah. For sure. So we're going to talk about fit wines, which are supposedly healthier. Yeah. Yeah. The actual, that's their actual name is fit wine, but you're not even going to be drinking any today. No, I'll be tasting and spitting back because I am doing dry January. And you know what's interesting? I've been seeing dry January. It's not a new concept. No, but it's getting a lot more buzz now. A lot more traction out there. I think we all need it a lot more after COVID year. (laughs) I'm serious. I call what I have now as my COVID, my full COVID face. Yeah, I, because I've, I've I've just gotten thicker. I'm more woman to love at this well, point. Yeah, and I think we. I know at our house normally we wouldn't have a glass of wine every night, and it felt like we were, you know, many times that was happening. Oh yeah, because you're so stressed out by the end of the day. You're like, let me just have a little glass of wine. Yes, or big, depending on the day. I'm just like I need to do a whole reset, system reset, weight reset. So, yeah, so I'll be the boring one tasting and then spitting out. Well, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned the whole weight thing because, you know, that's something I struggle with is, uh, you know, I actually had an eating disorder way back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm proud of you because you are so good about being body confident. Now. Oh, well, th- I'm trying. Yep. I'm trying you a lot. Thank you. I do. It's it, it, it is work. You have your good days and your bad days. And right now I'm looking into intuitive eating. Have you heard about this? I, I think I'm familiar, but tell me tell me what it means. So intuitive eating, it seems like something you should just be good at. Oh. It's you eat when you're hungry, you oh, eat what oh. you want, and you stop when you're full. Yeah. But it's the more you get into it, the older you get, I think, you get used to the patterns of eating. Yes, you do. I eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, two snacks. That's how people people are used to eating at certain times and having certain things. So yeah. you're exactly right. Well, and like I never know when to stop when I'm full. But this actually goes to wine as well. Like I am also mm-hmm. doing somewhat of a dry January. Okay, but it's not. I'm not calling it a dry January because mm-hmm. I'm sick of food rules. I'm yeah. sick of all of that. Yeah. Plus, it's a tough January to not drink. I know. Twenty twenty one was but like, really. hey, twenty twenty, hold my beer, watch yeah. this. <laughs> Regardless. Uh, I just haven't 
really felt like drinking. Yeah. I've been really tuning in. I've started meditating. Good for you. I And I haven't been doing it like 30 minutes, uh-huh. sitting in a tree, you know, none of that jazz. I <laughs> sit, I basically have made a small ritual out uh-huh. of it. Uh-huh. I um, I have a little pillow next to my bed. It's literally legitimately right next to my bed. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that I, if I did it right before bed, I'd pass out because I'm always so tired at the end yeah. of the day. And somehow I don't. Somehow I, I managed to stay awake. Uh-huh. It's 15 minutes. I set up my timer on my phone. Uh-huh. I light um, an oil burner and put some really good smelling oil Essential. in. So it's like yeah. this nice little ritual. We're those people. Yeah. yeah. And who cares? I love essential oils. <laughs> and I um, I sit down and I just, you know, I'm the kind of person when I meditate, I have to have quiet. Some mm-hmm. people can do guided. I tried it. It didn't work. Yeah. And I just sit there and I, I'm finding that it's helping me with the intuitive eating because mm-hmm. it's like, I, I don't oh. know why. With the focus, I bet. Yeah, and I yeah. didn't do it on purpose. Yeah. It just kind of started happening. and. Oh. I just thought it was interesting. And yeah. like with the dry January thing, I just thought this this was a whole movement. Yeah, it's a very, I think being intentional is so important, especially as we head into a fresh new year. I know for me, for instance, I read the Bible and do my quiet time in the morning. Um, and then in the evenings, a lot of times, if it's been a stressful day, I will do legs against the wall, the yoga pose yes. with some um, meditative music on. Oh, that's nice. And it's excellent for so many of your body systems, not just your mind, to have that kind of unwind time. And not have it be wine time for me in January is kind of where. Yeah. And we actually, you sent me an article about like four reasons because there's a lot, there's a lot of articles on this. Mm -hmm. Dry January is a big deal. This year, for sure. Like they they never wrote about it before. I did Sober October. Yeah. Which I thought was cute. Yeah. Yeah. But like, can you remember any of the three or four things that it said that was kind of obvious? Yeah. They were very obvious. A, you're going to lose weight. Yeah. Boom. Uh, Your rest will probably be better. That's true. uh, Which is kind of a big deal, especially in winter. And a lot of people deal with seasonal affective disorder. And and with all the stress of what's been going on for the last three thousand months, it feels like yeah. in the ten um, years that was twenty twenty. Right. right. <laughs> so it's going to help your rest as well, and it's just it is a total body reset in terms of your organs, well, yeah, and your skin, which is your biggest organ. It really helps your skin, and it also helps you really analyze your relationship with alcohol. Yes. So again, that intentionality, whether you're watching what you're eating or doing what you're doing with the uh, intuitive eating. intuitive eating. Thank you. We all kind of used last year as a, it was a good excuse to maybe eat things you would normally yeah. eat and not exercise. Oh, it's 2020. Like I'm going to have slug. six pieces of cake. Right, right. Is this whole pizza for me? <laughs> right. So um, so just intentionality. And I think that's a good catchword for all of us moving forward. We need to be intentional. Take every thought captive. Think about what we're thinking, doing, saying, not just for our body and for ourselves, but for those around us. Can you see my soapbox from there? I do. I can. Thanks. It's nice. Thanks. No, but if, if 2020 and now, unfortunately, 2021 uh, is taught us anything is that you can't really take anything for granted. Mm. I just feel like it's this huge, it's worldwide, yep. not necessarily our throwing civil unrest, but right. you know, but it's a worldwide thing. And I think mm-hmm. it's making everybody on this planet, it's like a cosmic reset. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. you're literally forced to sit down yeah. and be less busy. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people have over the past year mm-hmm. gone more inward. And I think that's why dry January is becoming more yep. popular is because yep. it's an introspective activity. Exactly. And what are they, what is the famous saying? Uh, an unexamined life is not a life worth living, which I may have misquoted, but the whole point is I get the, gist. <laughs> the goal for all of us should be really being intentional about being kind. And you have to start with being kind to yourself and dry January is a way to do it. Yeah. Or intuitive eating. Yes, exactly. You know, just follow your body or swimming. Like one of us is about to oh, do. Oh, I know. I'm signed up for a swim team. Yeah. 
Yeah, I never thought I'd do that as a 40-something. <laughs> you know, it's January. I'm my pastiest and bloated from the holidays. Let's go swimsuit <laughs> you know shopping. What? I want to show more of this. Yeah. I want to show the world more of this. <laughs> this is what I've got, and I'm going to shake it underwater. So, I don't know. We just wanted to talk to you guys about that. Love to hear your thoughts on it. And when you hear me spitting in just a minute, when we get to our Fit Wines, you'll know why. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's move on to that. But before we do, let's hear again from our sponsors and fellow podcasters. All right, welcome back. We are going to dive right in to our fit wines. Yummy ish for me, of course, but for you, yes. Yes, because you're not going to be drinking right. it. Yeah, well, sorry, I'm going to drink it because it's been a, it's been a long. I can tell it's you been a long year already. I can tell you what it tastes like in my mouth after I spit it out. <laughs> okay. All right. So we have Fit Vine in front of us. We both took a trek over to Wegmans. Yes, together in the wine area, which I was incredibly impressed with. Have I you never been over there? I haven't been through their wine area. It's but, massive. Oh, it's like a it's like a baby total wine. Yes, it's it's like a, a store in and of itself. Yeah, I was really impressed, and I have been very curious about this wine because you hear about it and see ads for it all the time. Yeah, so this is Fit Vine, and they had the whole line of Fit Vine. So mm-hmm. we bought all four bottles. We have the 2019 California Pinot Grigio, mm-hmm. the 2018 California Sauvignon Blanc. We have the 2018 Chardonnay and the 2018 California Cabernet Sauvignon. Did I say Cabernet Sauvignon twice? I know what you mean. We have three whites and a red, everybody. So, uh, yes. <laughs> and I'm going to read the back of it, just one of them, and then we'll get to tasting. Okay. This is vinted and bottled in Fitby Cellars in Lodi, California, which is in the south. Okay. Only reason I know that I is because um, when I was nursing Luca, mm-hmm. I had to pump in the bathroom, and there was a huge California map, uh-huh. and I would sit there and stare at it. <laughs> with my big giant orange extension cord going out from under the door through the store because it, there was no plug in there. Dang. Yeah, it was a whole scene. Yeah, it sounds very um But I know where Lodi is. I learned things. <laughs> I learned things. So, And then he, he thrived. So this is the Pinot Grigio. <laughs> Let's talk about the logo, which is someone running, fit, vine, holding a wine glass. Clever. I'm going to reenact it. No, I'm not. That <laughs> glass has wine in it. I think the label is terrible, to be honest. Um, oh, and this is the Chardonnay. Nope, this is the Pinot Grigio. Oh, this is the Pinot Grigio. Wow, I could see why you thought that. Yes, it smells it's like Chardonnay. <laughs> it's it's oaked. How? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a Pinot Grigio girl. Well, here, cheers. So. Here's the fit line. That tastes like a cheap Chardonnay. Oh. <laughs> she just because spit I so, so rarely spit, I spit onto my own face. <laughs> <laughs> she just spit so forcefully. It she was like, out of my mouth, you imposter. <laughs> <laughs> it bounced onto my glasses and down onto my cheek. That oh. tastes like a cheap Chardonnay. That's disgusting. Yeah, and it like, not a lit good up one. the inside of my cheeks like a zingy, almost like a tiny acidic burn. Not a burn, but you know what I mean? Kind of yeah. like a yee This tastes like cheap Chardonnay, like gas station Chardonnay. That, yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah, that's and exactly. And it's Pinot Grigio. Mm. Granted, now I'm just going to say this out loud. I've drank many of gas station Chardonnay. Just know I'm not above any of it. <laughs> but if I'm going to pay, I think they were $13-ish. Yeah, no. So, uh, as someone who didn't sip it, so granted I'm I'm not as knowledgeable about this as Sarah, but I like Pinot Grigio more than she does, and this is not one I would recommend. This doesn't taste like a Pinot Grigio. It's not citrusy. It's not very lean. So it says, with rich flavor and low, so their whole shtick is, low residual sugar. Fit Vine won't hold you back if you're looking for a wine that champions the way you want to live your life, crushing it at work, at the gym, and at home with the family. Drink with us, says Fit Vine. It's 30% alcohol, and um, it's making my mouth water. Yeah. All I did was let it sit in there a little bit. That's the acid. Yeah, so low residual sugar, 
with that. What are the calories? I'm surprised they don't give you a calorie count. And they do not give you a calorie I'm count. very surprised at that because, I mean, that's Me their too. big thing. But I guess there's low sugar, so people who are on keto and things. Yeah. Because you can drink wine on keto. I tried it. It did not work for me. Um, everybody's different. Everybody, yeah. Um, intuitive eating is great, though. You can... Have whatever you, want. whatever you want. But you can have dry wines on it. Oh, okay. And so it's all about the amount of sugar and things. Well, this would count. You yeah. could definitely have this on You can keto. have this Pinot Grigio slash Chardonnay. Let's try these. You could uh, have this bottle if you were up here, but yeah, you're not. Yeah, hand it right over. <laughs> now, let's go with the Sauvignon Blanc. This is a 2018, okay. so it's seen a year of age. Or, well, that, and oh. I wonder, since the rest of them are 2019, if this one just didn't sell. Oh, great. I can hardly wait. And I also have been drinking in the last few years a lot more Sauvignon Blanc, so this ought to be interesting. Let's see. Typically, before I stick my nose in this glass, uh-huh. typically the notes on a Sauvignon Blanc are grapefruit and cat pee, which sounds disgusting. Nah, but I it's... don't agree with that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the grapefruit's the number one thing that you'll yeah. get. And I'm a big grapefruit fan. Well, you want a New Zealand one. I can smell the grapefruit from oh, over here. Oh, it smells good, actually. Yeah. Yeah, this 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 already smells better. This is also made in, in Lodi, California. Yeah, I can smell the grapefruit from over there. Mm, mm. I can taste it in my mouth. You can you can taste the grapefruit. I miss the grapefruit it's rind. Bitter. Yeah, it's bitter. Yeah. So. Mm. I I do think it's better than the Pinot Grigio, but not by it's much. Not it's very bitter. Like it is very – it literally – because when I eat a grapefruit, I actually peel it like an orange and then eat, eat the pith out. And so you you get a little bit sometimes of the extra pith that I haven't yeah, perfectly done. Yeah, which is quite, done. quite bitter. And that's what it reminds yeah, there's me there's a of. lot of bitterness in this wine. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Come on, Fitvine. Come through for us, at least on one of these. Next up, we have the Chardonnay. Given how oaked the <laughs> Pinot Grigio was, I'm assuming that this is going to be something I can build a house with. Mm. Or and some furniture. We're not – Giant fans of oak chardonnay. Um, I don't love. I mean, I will drink it. I spent many nights in the nineties yes, enjoying the hell out of yeah. oak chardonnay. So it'll be interesting to see. It is more yellow than the others. In my defense, I was in my very, very, very early twenties, so I didn't know any better. <laughs> right. She's not the wine aficionado. No. She is now. It smells. Um, it doesn't smell nearly as oak. I was going to say. Grigio. It smells inoffensive. Was the word I was going with. Smoke <laughs> for the best. Bottoms up. It's a non-event. Yeah, so the the <laughs> trick is when you're spitting back, you still get some flavor, of course, because it clings to the inside of your mouth. You also still get a little alcohol because it goes through your gums, just an FYI. And the little bit of flavor I'm getting is uh, petroleum. Did you get that? I didn't. I didn't get much of anything. Yes, yeah, the, uh, the back end of it is uh, quite scientific tasting. Maybe, I'm, maybe it's like rubbing alcohol, maybe? Sarah's making real bad faces, y'all. Wow. <laughs> They're very, they're just so deeply unbalanced. It definitely tastes like there's additives in this wine. I mean, of the three whites. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I honestly, I would drink the Pinot Grigio. I found it to be the most really? enjoyable of these three, but I would drink it as a cheap Chardonnay. Yeah. I, the Chardonnay is very bitter to mm-hmm. me as well. Yeah. The, the Pinot Grigio was probably the least bitter, and it was pretty bitter. Is the Sauvignon Blanc? Oh, you're right. I'm thinking the Sauvignon Blanc. The Sauvignon Blanc was extremely yeah, bitter to it, me. It, yeah, you're right. So in terms of inoffensive, like we said, probably the Pinot Grigio. Which, which we did not give a rousing endorsement for. No, no. And we've talked to you guys about skinny wines before. You, we, we tried skinny Bethany Frankel's, yeah. and we didn't, ha- we didn't hate the white. We didn't like the red. Yeah, I do 
feel like the skinny girl whites are better than the fit. I 100% whites. agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And then we tried the Aveline as well, which also touts itself as a quote unquote clean wine. Right. And that stuff was just pure tea garbage. Just bad. It was not right. good. Unless yeah. you love it and we're sorry for insulting your wine. Yeah. Year. This is our Maybe palettes. we have bad taste. Maybe, <laughs> Don't maybe. be silly. <laughs> just kidding. Who are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> All right, last up. Now we're moving to the realm of red. And then apparently they do have a Pinot Noir. Okay, sure. Well, we, we just didn't it. see yeah. it. So we went for the Cabernet Sauvignon. Given my track history, mm. I'm not looking forward to this. I'm not a fan of Sauvignon Blanc as a rule. She means Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, what did I say? Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. I am not a fan of the Cabernet Sauvignon because it typically tastes like green peppers to me. I'm not a fan of that. But what was the one that um, Coach Logan... Oh, he likes Rombauer, yeah. And that I enjoyed. Fruit forward. That, that was is a Zinfandel. terrific wine. That was a Zinfandel. What was the... No, it was the one that Maximilian Riedel sent <gasps> over with the glasses. Yes. That was BV Vineyard. Yes, and that was very and nice. I was shocked yes. at how much I enjoyed that yeah, Cabernet. That Only Cabernet I've ever liked in my life. This, for a Cabernet Sauvignon, looks pretty thin. It looks more like a Pinot Noir. It smells like a cheap bottle of wine. Actually, it smells... It's very fruity. It smells like powder. I get baby powder. It doesn't smell as spicy as Cabernet Sauvignon usually does, in my opinion. I'm, like, legit afraid to drink this. <laughs> she's holding it away from her body. I'm like, not it smells, it smells like baby powder to me. Oh, I think it smells terrible. I get, oh, God, baby powder and, like, tires. You remember Love's Baby Soft? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like somebody dipped Love's Baby Soft in a tire. I wore the hell out of that perfume. Me too. How twisted were their ads? I don't remember their ads, but I just remember Look just them using up. the junk of it. I know. It smelled bad. My poor mom. The three perfumes I had on my dresser mm-hmm. were Love's Baby Soft, Debbie Gibson Electric Youth, oh. and Exclamation. Those oh. were my three. My goodness. Look yeah, at I, you. <laughs> yeah, I smelled real bad. I just smelled like Love's Baby Soft, like a cloud, like a little pink cloud was traveling yeah. with me everywhere I went. I was a big fan. What do you think? I will say the aftertaste, uh, because again, I'm doing just the residual, is not as offensive as the whites. It's not. There's no. um, There's no green pepper. I'll say that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's something offensive. I can't put my finger on with it. It's been oaked. Also, I think I can definitely taste the oak in it. It's really making my mouth water quite a bit. I have so much wine on my glasses. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because of the. We. I gave you a pint glass to spit in. And I think it's because it's narrow and it it's just fighting back. spits the wine right back up. <laughs> it doesn't want this wine either. <laughs> it's like, get this shrill out of me. Honestly, the words that keep popping in my head mm. are wedding wine. Ah, If you've been to a wedding and they bought the cheapest wine that they can get and know nothing about wine Ugh. or didn't even bother to try, yeah. this is the wine that this is. It's just like generic. You can, uh, you can do so much better. Now, I think it's important, since it does bill itself as a lower sugar wine, that we talk about the calories and carbs in it. So I've got it right here. Okay. For the sugars, this is for a five ounce glass. It's about 0.06 grams of sugar, which is phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. Well, what's the typical glass? I'll look on mine. Okay, good. I was going to say, do you I was know? Like, what do you am, not know? What am I comparing <laughs> that to? Uh, this is for the Cab Sauvignon. So if you'll look up a, a typical Cab Sauvignon. Okay. The calories are 117 for a five ounce glass, which will be interesting to see how that compares. The carbohydrates are 3.9. So come on, people, round up. It's four carbs. Okay, so it's roughly a gram to 10 grams. So that's that's well less than a gram. Oh, yeah. So they've really sliced it off. Do you have calories on that? Oh, uh, 
While Sarah is looking up the comparison for regular, not lower sugar build wines, I would like to say that how they describe the Cabernet Sauvignon on the FitMind website is notes of lavender, currants, <laughs> and oak shine through. So you definitely got the oak. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get lavender, and I've never had a currant. Although I think they have a little bit of a zing as well. I'm not getting a clear answer on this anywhere quickly. Mm. Three grams of carbohydrates. Yeah, I'm not okay. getting a clear answer on it, but we're just going to assume it's less. Yeah. Well, it does have less sugar. In fact, they call it very little residual sugar, and I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why it's so bitter. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. when you're making a cocktail... Mm-hmm. It never ceases to amaze me that people are afraid to add sugar, but that's going to round out. Sugar can sometimes act like salt yeah, and round out and bring out all the other flavors in the wine. So I'm assuming that the, the reason these wines have this bitter finish is because there's no sugar in it. Yeah. And so if that's what you're looking for, you know, maybe that'll work. I say go for a beer. <laughs> or a, a shot ultra. of vodka in a drink with like a diet soda or yeah. soda water, you know, yeah. but like, you know, Mick Ultra is just tastes like watered down beer. But this just this the, the aftertaste is just wretched on these wines. I don't recommend them. I don't. Uh, a typical glass of wine, five ounces, uh, contains about 120 calories. And that's uh, from wine.com. But you only got like. What fifteen calories less at yeah, best? Like, right. What's the point? It's all about the sugar. This, this is a keto calories. product. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So if you're doing keto for the new year, and if you are, God bless you, because that's rough on the body. Yeah. This might be the wine for you. It was also invented for epilepsy. I did hear that. Yeah. yeah. And this is then they noticed people were losing weight. Yeah. Well, of course you are because you're eating less calories. Right. Bottom line is you're eating less calories. Right. Regardless. So that's our take on fit wine. We if loved you, it. If you, <laughs> we love talking about it. I love reading a bad movie review. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the new year. We're hoping that this year is going to be even better than last year. It doesn't have far to go. You know, it started out bumpy, but, you know, who knows? Got to hit the it's floor before you go to the top. Yeah, you got to hit yep. the floor. All right, nowhere to go but up. up. That's right. <laughs> wow. 2021. Just don't dig a hole. <laughs> Cheers. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.